Myself Chakras, episode 126. Let the beauty of what you love be what you do. There are a thousand ways to kneel and kiss the earth. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, and you are listening to My 7 Chakras, a show where we introduce you to people who have said yes to life. People who have gone through numerous struggles, obstacles, rejections, and major challenges to jump back once again and take massive action. These are people who, at one point, didn't know what their life's purpose is, but with the right mindset, the right approach, the right knowledge, the right questions, and the right mentor, they were able to align themselves with the energy of the universe and not only transform themselves, but transform others as well. Action Tribe, no matter what challenge you are going through right now, realize that life has its ups and downs. And even though you might be going through a down right now, remember that sunrise always follows the darkest part of the night. Remember that a lotus blooms in the dirtiest and marshiest of ponds. Remember that no matter how bad it gets and how many times you get knocked down, no one can knock out the powerful human spirit that resides within you. So thank you so much for taking your time to listen to this episode and taking massive action. And Action Tribe, before moving on, I'd like to ask you this question. What is that one goal that you really, really want to achieve? For example, you might say that you want to be a yoga teacher or you want to get better at meditation or you want to learn how to become a life coach or a healer. Whatever your goal might be, I really want to know. So whether you're on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram, use the hashtag My7Chakras, hashtag My7Chakras and tell me what is that one goal that you are really committed to achieving. And with that, we are now ready to welcome our featured guest for the day, Jessica Walden. So Jessica, are you ready to inspire? Yes, I'm ready. Thank you. Awesome. So Jessica started a daily Ashtanga yoga practice in 94 while studying as an exchange student at the University of Adelaide in Australia. In 2004, she moved to Encinitas with her family and studied with Tim Miller. Over the last 14 years, she's made several trips to Mysore, India to study with Guruji, Sharat and Saraswati and has been granted a teaching authorization certificate from the KPJAYI in Mysore. Because of her other career and parenting commitment, she teaches yoga selectively and for limited periods of time, including short workshops and private instruction. She is a nature-loving, yoga-doing mother of two who loves travel and adventure, positive people's music, dance, reading, and the simple pleasures in life. She's an advocate of organic agriculture and has 19 years of experience in organic certification. Four years ago, Jessica suffered a major spinal injury. While initially this caused a lot of fear, a lot of pain, it actually ended up bringing more joy to her practice, to her teaching and to her life. So Jessica, I've given Action Tribe a glimpse into your life, but take a few moments and tell us a bit more. Okay, well, that that was great. I think that's all of me. You just said that. You summed it up so well. <laughs> no, um, well, uh, yes, so I've been doing a, a daily practice since I was 21 years old, so quite a long time. I'm, I'm 43 now, so half of my life. And that 
that practice sort of sustained me through, uh, you know, university, through mothering, through, you know, being pregnant, mothering, and all of the the career choices that I've made basically is just an organic certification. But, you know, it's the one thing that's remained constant in my life every single day. So it's sort of paved the way through my life and, and really steered me in good directions. And it's also been with me through really incredible injury as well. So I guess that's going to be sort of the focus today is that, you know, the sort of the one constant that's been with me in all of these different facets of just being a householder and a working person, um, that there's also this sort of thread that is there that sort of informs my daily life. Wonderful. So I can't wait to learn more about your story and how you started yoga and how has it been and how your practice has evolved over the years. But before that, right before we dive into today's show, we're going to spend some time basking in some inspirational wisdom. Sound like a plan? Sounds great. Great. So what is your your inspirational quote, your favorite inspirational quote, and also tell us how you apply this quote in your life. So, I mean, gosh, there's so many amazing quotes out there, but the one that I truly love and really resonate with and um, that I read every day is, this is a quote from Rumi, and it goes like this, let the beauty of what you love be what you do. There are a thousand ways to kneel and kiss the earth. And I suppose, you know, I never really set out to be a something in life. I never set out to be, you know, a particular expert in anything. But essentially, I follow what I love. And so that is what I do. I, I apply love and who I am to everything that I do. And in that, I feel that I'm, I guess I'm saying grace <laughs> to uh, the opportunity to live, you know, to be a part of this world and to experience people and places. And it's sort of the way that I, I feel that I'm, I guess I'm worshiping not only myself, but also the earth. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's, I guess it's just, it's very spiritual, but it's also practical in the sense that it's you know, you combine both the practical and the spiritual and everything that you do. Wonderful. So let the beauty of what you love be what you do. I think that is an amazing quote. I love Rumi quotes. And this is true because when you are doing what you love to do, the experience is different. First of all, it shows in your work and also it shows in your aura and your energy when someone interacts with you, when someone meets you. And based on what you shared, it is clear that you are doing exactly what you love. And I'm sure most of our listeners, if not all our listeners, are able to feel your energy as well. So thanks a lot for sharing. Thank you. So let's dive in. What is Ashtanga Yoga and how is it different from the other forms of yoga out there? Well, Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga, it comes from Sri K. Patabi Joyce, and he was a student of Krishnamacharya, and so was Iyengar as well. The Ashtanga is different in that it's based on a vinyasa system. So instead of holding postures for long periods of time and sort of moving in and out of various postures and, and they change on a daily basis, Ashtanga is there's a series that you're working on, and each posture is connected with this series of movements and breathing that basically allows you to generate your own heat and it keeps you very active throughout the practice, but you're also continually moving and breathing at the same time. So you're holding postures for a shorter period of time, but you're constantly connecting them through this sequence of movements that is keeping you breathing and focused. So it's, um, and you have a series that you work on, so you can actually work on it 
anywhere you are, either in a yoga class or at home or, you know, during travel, you have your own series that you're working on. So yeah, it's a beautiful system. Wonderful. So you said that it is a vinyasa system. Yes. It comprises of shorter poses. It is definitely a series of poses. And the focus really is on movement and breathing. So it's like a moving meditation. Correct. Exactly. Wonderful. So what are some of the benefits that you've gained over the years from a regular practice of Ashtanga Yoga? When I first started doing this practice, I was in university and I was very stressed out <laughs> and uh, worried. I was worried about life. I mean, I was 21. So, you know, when you're embarking upon, you know, you sort of think that you know everything at that age, but really you know nothing. And so I was I was just afraid. I would think I was afraid of failure at university. I was afraid of a lot of things and and definitely just stressed out. So I started the system and I used to bite my nails like crazy. And I noticed after I started practicing the system that I was too tired <laughs> to bite my nails. Things just started <laughs> falling. All these little stress things that I did sort of started to fall away. I didn't quite know why, but I think it was being able to etch out a little piece of time where I had to stop my thinking, my worrying. I had to stop studying. And I just went on, got onto the mat and started to move and breathe. And even though you might start to be, you know, your mind might be racing right at the beginning, by the time you're into it, 10 minutes into it, you no longer are thinking anything. You're just moving, breathing, and trying to <laughs> keep up with the rigorous practice. And so, what I found was things dropped away. I, I guess thoughts of, you know, concerning thoughts, those sorts of things just started to fall away. And I just felt so much better at the end, you know, especially at the relaxation at the very end, you know, suddenly I would come out of it and I would say, you know, all those things I was worried about before I started this practice, no longer do I, do I feel that they're really that significant. I feel like I can do, you know, I can continue on. Um, nothing's going to really stop me. So it built resilience over the years, not only physically, but certainly in all aspects mentally. Wonderful. So you mentioned that when you started, obviously, like any college student, any university student, you had some stress, you're worried about life, you're anxious, you're afraid of failing, which I'm sure everyone goes through. But after beginning this practice, your perspective shifted. Firstly, you were so focused on the practice that you were focusing on breathing and maintaining the postures. And after this wonderful practice, you were so tired that the bad habits in your life that you had mentioned, the thoughts and the binding of the nails, those just melted away. Yes. And love that you mentioned that throughout your practice, what really developed was your resilience to life's challenges. Yes. And I think that's really powerful. Thanks a lot for sharing that. Sure. I read on your website that you spent some time in Mysore with the Joyce family practicing and learning Ashtanga Yoga. So what was that experience like? It was amazing. I mean, the first time I went there was in 2001 and I was just there for two months. And that was great because I'd already been practicing for about, I don't know, maybe nine years or seven or nine years before getting there. Mm -hmm. And it was really, really expensive. <laughs> but I mean, because I was in Australia at that time and the Australian dollar was very, very low. But as soon as I got there and I met Patabi Joyce at that time, I knew I had made the right decision. The money didn't matter anymore. You know, it was like, no, I needed to go to the source. And that's what it felt like. It was being at the source of this amazing practice and this amazing person, you know, both Patty Joyce and his grandson and his daughter, um, Saraswati, grandson, Sharat. They're there to serve. Like people just kept coming. You know, they didn't ask that students come from around the world, but we all just kept coming because we all needed it so much. So it was a real, um, it was amazing. It was very humbling to be there. And then I'd gone back several times, but especially in 2008 and 2009, we took our 
two children. They were just almost two and almost five. And we stayed there for a year and a half. And so we really sunk in and, you know, stayed there for a while, really felt that we were, you know, we were living there and our kids are going to school. And that's when the practice really blossomed for me on all different levels. You know, I was actually still working for my American company at that time, but I was just really steeped in the whole cultural, all the cultural aspects of yoga. And it was quite an amazing experience. We got much closer with the family. Um, Patabi Joyce died at that time when we were there. So that was also quite amazing. It was like the end of an era and the beginning of something new as Sherat took over mm-hmm. that. So it was just, it really had great meaning to me to be able to do that, you know, to, to be there and experience that on that level. Wonderful. So your first trip was in 2001. As you mentioned, it was very expensive. But as soon as you re- reached the destination, you met with the person, you reached the source, as you so eloquently put, all apprehensions, all doubts, all worries about how much money you spent, they all, you know, washed away, right. they all went away, because you knew that this was not an expense, but this was an investment in your personal growth, in your spiritual growth, and life was not going to be the same again. But then you made another trip, right, at the latest stage, and that's when you spent more time. Yes. And that's when things really transformed. Your family was there. So that's phenomenal as well. So I know you've written about this a little bit on your website. You speak about the bandhas. So my question is, what are the bandhas and how do they relate to the practice of yoga? Oh, well, gosh, the all elusive bandhas. <laughs> <laughs> they are amazing. Firstly, they're amazing. But um, it takes time to sort of to understand what they are. But they're energy uh, bandha means lock, but they're really like energy gates within our body. And so the two that we typically use in this Ashtanga practice are the Mula Bandha and the Uddiyana Bandha. The Mula Bandha is at the base of the spine or the, or the pelvic floor, you know, basically what you're sitting on. And that Mula Bandha is the, the yogis for years and years. But I mean, yogis that didn't practice Ashtanga necessarily talk about this sort of energy source at the base of your spine. And if you're able to harness that and through it, usually it's through the breathing where you're breathing in and you're gently lifting up that pelvic floor area with the breath, you begin to form an awareness there. And so you're basically allowing that energy instead of the energy always going out Mm. that area, the energy starts to circulate back up. So you're creating a real strengthening, powerful place down at the root of your body. Mm -hmm. And that helps with everything. It helps protect your back. It protects you during your practice. But in daily life, it also keeps this sort of spring in your step (laughs) because it's actually a very alive feeling. The Uddiyana Bandha, another Bandha, is located just below your navel. And um, it's like imagining a string that's tied from the, just below the navel and it draws back to the spine. And so that's just your lower belly. And it's, it, again, you're not, it's not a, a sense of hardening like the six pack abs that we think about in the West, you know, like, oh, we got to get that core strong. We got to look good in our bikinis or whatever. It's really a softness. It's such an internal, again, it's sort of a lifting. And that means flying upward. It The combination between the Mula Bandha and the Uddiyana Bandha in your practice and, and connecting that with your breath. So on the inhalation, the Mula Bandha is lifting gently, which is the pelvic floor. And the Uddiyana Bandha is also coming back a little bit towards your spine, which is that lower belly area. And those two things start to create incredible strength and control within you. Mm -hmm. And you begin to sort of get sort of a feeling of lightness in your practice and in your movements. If you look at those runners, those um, people that are doing those incredible sprints during the Olympics, and you see how they almost lift up off the ground as they're running, I'm sure they're activating (laughs) Mula Bandha and Uddiyana Bandha, and they, they may not call it that at the time. 
time, but it's that thing that allows you to almost lift and levitate a little bit in your movements. And so uh, it's really important in the Ashtanga practice that you are cultivating that because that just allows you to sort of, again, find that the movements become easier, the meditation becomes easier, and your practice becomes something kind of on another level. It becomes more than just the physical movement. You are sort of flying a little bit. Wonderful. Now, you've alluded to this before, but you've been practicing yoga for over 20 years now. How has your practice changed or evolved over the years from the very beginning to now? I've always been fairly noodle-like, you know, flexible, mm-hmm. but kind of just gangly. I had no strength, no strength in my center core body, had no real understanding of the bandhas, or at least I didn't think I did at that time. So I came to it, but still I found it was great. I mean, it you transform very, very quickly because you're moving and breathing and sweating. And, you know, the first series is all about elimination and purification of your digestive mm. system. So uh, that starts to work very, very quickly. So right from the beginning with a, you know, a, a semi-regular practice of say three or four days a week, even though it, sh- it should be up to six days a week, but you know, those of us just beginning, it's like we're going it slow, but you notice the changes in your body dramatically. And I think it's because you are heating up, you are sweating, you are moving your body in all different ways, ways you hadn't done before. So the changes are very, very um, quick. So that's what kind of pulls you in and you think, wow, this is, there's something here, you know, and a lot of us get really, really gung-ho the first year and we're like, I just want to do this, you know. The more you practice (laughs) and the older you get, (laughs) the more you realize that in order to sustain yourself, you need to practice with a great deal of awareness. And so it translates not only in your practice, but in everything that you do, because we can't just, you know, when we're young, we can sort of fling ourselves all over the place because we're excited about it. But as we get older and we go through life changes, maybe having babies or going through injuries, you know, we realize the practice is always going to be there for us, but we need to then know how to move in it as we go through all these life changes and you can continue to blossom all the time. And that's the amazing thing about the practice is that it's like life. It's like, it is never ending. You're going to always find new possibilities within yourself. And you sort of have to, in order to sustain something like that for so long and into your old age, you know, you might move less, you might do less asanas or less create, you know, those ones that are really amazing and people go, Oh my God, I can't believe you can do that. You might do less of those sort of showy ones and more ones that focus on cultivating the subtle energies, but it's all good. You know, it's all amazing. And again, you continually transform. So I think that I'm not longer doing so much of the showy stuff. I'm finding what really feels right for my body as I age. And that in itself is, is so wonderful. I enjoy my practice so much more now than I did when I was younger because I just didn't know myself Mm. as much as I do now. So yeah. Wonderful. It's like you're ascending the chakras (laughs) in your life. Yes, right. Exactly. (laughs) That's wonderful. Now, I love that you mentioned it's never ending, continuous evolving and blossoming all the time. Now, let's take a few steps back now. Take us back to the time when you first encountered Ashtanga Yoga. What was that like? It was amazing. So before, I've always been an active person. I rode my bike everywhere. I did did Taekwondo for a little while. I was a a springboard diver, so I did lots of diving when I was young. So I loved to keep keep active. But in Taekwondo, I loved that because of the stretching and the the discipline and the control. But when it came to sparring, I was you had to spar to get your next belt. And I was real chicken. I I just, I couldn't do it. I was so afraid. And I eventually ended up getting my nose broken and sparring because I was afraid, you know, Mm -hmm. I was just doing stupid things. And so after wearing that cast for (laughs) on my nose for way too long, I decided that I needed to find something that was kind of like that, but with no no contact sports for me. Thank you. And so I thought I would try 
yoga and uh, Tim Miller, who lives in Encinitas, he came, I was in Australia at the time, and he came over there to do a, a yoga intensive, an Ashtanga intensive. Mm-hmm. And it started at five in the morning. So I, being a student at that time, I would work, I would study till two. Then I'd get all my yoga clothes on and I'd go to bed with the lights on so that when the alarm went off, I could just sit up already in all my yoga clothes, brush my teeth and put on my shoes and ride my bike into the, into the studio. So, but once I found that, I realized it incorporated everything that I loved, it incorporated a bit of gymnastic, which I loved with the diving. I loved that sort of thing. Um, it incorporated just incredible movement, like with the biking mm. and, and then with the breath, um, and the focus of the Taekwondo incorporated everything. And I thought, this is it. This is exactly what suits me, you know, my my constitution or my temperament or whatever. So basically, you know, that's how I found it. Of course, I was only 21. So before then, it was all just experimentation. That is awesome. I can imagine how that must have felt knowing that you finally came across a practice that incorporated what you liked in different practices. Yes. So wonderful. So what advice do you have for someone listening to this episode right now? who wants to embark on a practice of yoga? Well, I encourage it, of course. I guess the thing is that, you know, not everyone is going to want to do the Ashtanga system because it is quite vigorous. So I guess I just think that someone who is interested in yoga should try a couple of different types of yoga because like I said, everyone at different places in their life and there are they may w- want more the relaxing type of yoga where you're mm. moving slowly or they might want something that's more vigorous like this system. And I certainly people that work a lot in offices or sitting at desks and, and that sort of thing, I think that the Ashtanga system is great because it gets your heart beating and you are moving your body in all ways. So it's different than going to the gym and, and maybe lifting weights and stuff where you're isolating muscles and that sort of thing. The Ashtanga is great because you're moving everything all the time. You know, you're doing little bits of backbending and forward and push-ups and, you know, stuff with your legs and all sorts of things. So it's like a real full movement for you. So... I think that it's good to start with beginning classes at first mm-hmm. and to do a little do a little bit of research like spend some time going to a few different places because you also want to resonate with your teacher and um, and you want to start slowly because you don't want to hurt yourself. You know, the thing is to find a good teacher that you resonate with and to then move slowly because you will see changes very, very quickly. And, and it's good to just take things slow so that you don't hurt yourself. I think that's some excellent advice. And thanks a lot for sharing those powerful stories and insights. For someone listening to this episode right now, is there a health tip that you'd like to share with our listeners? Something that they could try out right after listening to this episode? Well, Well, you know, I always bring it back to the breath. It's a little difficult to say, okay, I want you to stand up and then, you know, bend over and touch your toes. The thing is, really, it's the breath that we begin with always. And we forget to breathe all the time. The mind follows the path of the breath. Movement follows the path of the breath. That's how it should be. So when you're breathing, you also become mindful of your movement. So right after this uh, show, if you just sit for a moment, you don't even have to close your eyes. It doesn't have to be a meditation necessarily. But if you just sit and breathe rhythmic breaths, meaning that, you know, it can be four counts on the inhalation, three on the exhalation, whatever works for you, but breathe into your heart space for just three minutes where you feel like you're really breathing into that heart area and you breathe at your own pace, but make sure that it's rhythmic. And you can do that anytime. Like right before I started, I came on the show, I started to get shaky. I'm like, oh my God. And I can, I immediately went back to that breath where mm-hmm. I breathe, breathe, breathe it into my heart. What happens, it's not necessarily even, it, it helps your mind, but it's at the same time 
Well, of course, it's helping your physiology. It's bringing your heartbeat into a rhythm that it's meant to. And your heart regulates all your other um, systems within your body. And so if your heart is beating in a a rhythm or the intervals between the beats are rhythmical, which happens when you breathe in that way, Mm -hmm. then everything starts to work well in your body. And that's what uh, allows you to, to your mind to sort of also feel peace. So you're releasing happy hormones instead of the stress hormones. And this is actually something that's scientifically proven by there's a, a man named Alan Watkins who talks about this, who's, I don't think he's a yogi, but he talks about this sort of thing as well. So, and in course of, in yoga, our breathing is what calms us down. It brings peace. It's the kind of thing that will, at the end of your yoga practice, where you're like, all those things I was worried about, I'm not worried about them anymore. It's exactly this. It's because your physiology has come into balance and you're no longer producing those stress hormones. So I think the breathing comes first and then, and then movement, a movement of any kind. So after you've breathed for three minutes, then just any movement, turn on a bit of music and allow your body to move. And that's, I mean, the Ashtanga system is very much about a moving meditation, breathing, moving. And so if you can do that right after this show, then that's perfect. (laughs) I'm going to do that too, in fact. (laughs) <laughs> Wonderful. So Action Tribe, to access the show notes for this episode, visit my7chakras.com forward slash 126. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 126. Fear grows out of the things we think. It lives in our minds. Compassion grows out of the things we are and lives in our hearts. This is a quote, a powerful quote by Barbara Garrison. Action Tribe, one of the goals of the show is to celebrate challenges, failures and obstacles because when you come out of it, as you look back at the experience, you realize that it had come into your life to teach you something and to enable you to grow. But when you're in the challenge, that is a really difficult and rarely a pleasant experience, especially if you're gripped with fear because your mind keeps playing that tape in your mind's theater again and again, crossing the stress and as Jessica said, releasing cortisol, stress hormone, and that affects your performance because it doesn't allow you to think well. At such a moment, take a deep breath, take a deep breath in and a breath out and feel grateful for the people who have supported you so far and feel compassionate for the people who haven't been kind to you. That love energy is what will make you feel better once again. And speaking about challenges, Jessica, take us back to a time when you faced a major challenge. Firstly, how did it all start? And then how did you overcome that challenge? Well, I guess sort of the most current, most recent challenge for me was when I had my back injury. I had been born with a a condition called spondylolisthesis where your vertebrae don't stack on top of one another. Um, I had one vertebra that was going in and one vertebra going out and I had a disc in between and um, I didn't really know it so much. And then I found out about it after my first trip to India in 2001, but I assumed that yoga would heal me. So I kept doing those crazy back bends. And uh, then, and and by the way, yoga does heal, but (laughs) it's not usually in the straight line like we think it will. Um, And then I had two pregnancies and those pregnancies, you know, release the elastic hormone. So everything moves around, you know, in order to prepare for delivery. And and so that too caused some shift in my spine. And I, again, I didn't know it necessarily as it was happening. And after I gave birth uh, to both kids, you know, I went straight back to yoga and straight back to doing those crazy backbends that I was doing. And eventually I basically wore away my disc. This is the lower spine L5S1 right at the base of the spine. And so one day I was doing my yoga practice. I had had some back pain for a while, but again, I just thought, 
it's a part of it. It's all a part of the yoga. You know, you just keep going. I tried to stand up from a back bend. I was doing a back bend and I tried to like push myself onto my feet and come up. And that's when must have been the final straw for my spine. I stood up, but the most incredible pain happened in all directions and I couldn't move. My teacher laid me down onto the floor and I was essentially paralyzed. I could not move anything. I could only move my eyelashes and my mouth. So at that moment, I thought, okay, you know, I, I possibly have done such severe damage to myself that I, I actually may never walk again. I couldn't imagine myself walking again. Uh, I went to an, the emergency room and they pumped me with all sorts of uh, drugs, you know, anti-spasm and painkillers and that sort of thing. And they gave me an MRI. And yes, it turned out that I had this crazy situation down in my lower spine. And the surgeon said that if this would have happened to me all at one, once, I would have been a paraplegic. But what was happening is I was, <laughs> my body was adapting over the years. Mm-hmm. I was creating damage and my body was adapting at the same time to try to keep me continuing to do what I was doing. So it was a moment of, it was incredible pain, obviously, but it was, I was very, very afraid. One surgeon said to me that I should get surgery straight away because uh, I had two children and what if I had to spend the rest of my life in a wheelchair and, you know, didn't I want to play with my kids, basically, was his sentiment. And I, I was, so I was really afraid. I went and saw three different surgeons and I also embarked upon some physio exercises as well. And the third surgeon I saw reassured me that I wasn't going to suddenly become paraplegic. I, I was walking by the stage. I was able to walk, um, but I was very afraid. I, f- I felt very fragile. Like at any moment I could collapse and that, that would be it. I would never, you know, I'd be paralyzed. But the third surgeon said to me, you know, look, you're not in any hurry. You, I could open you up right now and realize there's nothing I could do for you except just uh, fuse your your vertebra together, and then you'd be exactly the way you are now. Except I will have op- you know I would have opened you up, and you would have had all this nerve damage, and basically you could feel more pain than you feel now. So you might as well just wait until you're ready, you know, to do it. And in the meantime, just keep practicing and uh, let pain be your guide. And that was really helpful. When I heard those words from him, it made sense to me in my own body. I, I wasn't ready to believe um, other people's uh, f- the, the fear that they were they were putting into my brain um, quite yet. So at that moment, like I had been working towards this yoga certification from all of my adult life. I was a mother of two kids. I I was working and um but my identity very much wrapped up in my yoga too and being able to do these amazing postures. But what happened was, I don't know, something interesting happened. I suddenly just became humble with so much, maybe just became humble with myself. I realized I didn't have to keep striving to meet this ideal and that I could just keep going inward to find out what what was going on within me and what I needed to do to keep walking and to keep thriving. And um, so what seemed like it was going to be kind of the end of things ended up actually being the beginning of things because it was after that back um, situation that I started, you know, I started making video instructional videos for people and um, <laughs> I got a website. I just started being more inspired by by the practice, realizing that yoga did heal me in a way that I didn't expect it. It not not in a physical way. Yoga kind of took me in and spat me out the other side with this whole new awareness of a, a whole new gentleness. Like I needed to be more gentle on myself and on my children and just in my in my life. Like I needed to pay attention to the subtleties in life and within me that brought me peace and love and um, comfort. So. 
Yeah. It, and it also opened me up to other things. Like I was very, very attached to the practice and then it opened me up to a whole range of different movement and hiking and a whole lot of other things that I would maybe not have had time for because I was so, you know, wanting to, to do my practice all the time. I still do my practice all the time, actually, but I just do so much other stuff too. That's so much more fun. I mean, not more fun, but so much fun in, in other ways. So yeah, it actually, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, I know that uh, there's these things happen for a reason. And I think the main thing was that it just softened me to myself. I was pushing and pushing without really listening mm-hmm. to what was going on. And now all I do is listen. And I let what I hear be dictate my movements or dictate what I do in life. And I pay attention to everything now, you know, uh, in life. I, I'm moved and overwhelmed by, uh, you know, the pelicans that fly by me at the beach. Like, I'm a little bit of a of a emotional softy these days, you know, the pelicans go by and I'm like, oh, they're so beautiful. <laughs> Have a little cry. But I mean, I guess it's more, it's it allowed me to pay attention to the subtleties and everything. And, um, and then has really just informed the way that this next chapter of my life has sort of have, has, has opened up. And it's like, it, again, it feels like the beginning of something as opposed to the end of something. So as you look back at your life right now, in just one sentence, what is that one major life lesson that you'd like to share with our listeners? I guess the life lesson is that you never know how the story is going to end. Life is a huge mystery. And you could have all the plans in the world and all the goals, but the reality is you have no idea <laughs> what's going to happen. So I think that the main thing is that like we can only take care of the present. We can only take care of that present moment. We have to either enjoy it, you know, or we have to perhaps if the, if the present is something that's threatening us, we have to deal with it right then. But the future will take care of itself. And if we take care of right now and we're humble, then it's all good. You know, it's everything's going to be fine. I guess that's it. Wonderful. So you said a couple of really awesome things, some powerful things, which I feel is really important to repeat. You shared that you had a back injury, an issue with your vertebrae, which is such a sensitive part of your body. You then had two pregnancies, which further affected your spine. And then you went back into yoga. You ended up, you know, wearing your spine even more. And that's when it hit you. You couldn't move. You were paralyzed. Uh, and that must have been so challenging and so painful but you know you didn't give up you you had people around you you got an mri you got to know that it was really serious and they were telling you to get an operation done but then you you met some other surgeons as well the third surgeon assured you and gave you the confidence and said keep practicing let pain be your guide that is such you know wonderful information i mean wonderful you know advice and i think he should not be a surgeon he should be like a motivational coach or something <laughs> like that <laughs> so <laughs> uh, yeah thanks a lot for sharing this story with us and I think a lot of our listeners can totally relate to what you just said. Action Tribe, your physical eyes see the things that are around you at the present moment but your mental eye can see things that are not in front of you but are waiting to manifest. You see our brains have something called the RAS or the reticular activating system and in plain terms that is our goal seeking system. So like a GPS, whenever you set your goal it begins working actively to bring to your attention the information that might help you get closer to your goal. So whatever your goal is health, wellness, you know, lifestyle, a relationship. This system is strengthened when your inner eyes can fully visualize your goal. It can feel it, it can smell it, hear it and taste it. This is the truth action tribe. And when you focus on this, you will experience yourself getting closer and closer to your goals because as Mary Shelley once so beautifully exclaimed, nothing contributes so much to tranquilizing the mind as a steady purpose, a point on which the soul may fix its intellectual 
full eye. So Jessica, at this point in your life, what is your life's calling? Well, it's interesting. I've been thinking about this. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I mean, the funny thing is that I think it comes goes back to that quote that I read right at the beginning about let the beauty of what you love be what you do. And I think what has happened is that I, I have done what I love. And then as a result, things have developed from that. So, you know, the practice and after the back situation stuff and then relearning and then sharing that through that, I have then received, you know, people want me to do workshops in places and people reach out to me and ask me to teach. And and I guess I didn't necessarily set out to be a yoga teacher, but it's more that I just have done what I loved. And then if the teaching has sort of been asked of me or people have just wanted to ask my uh, for my story, really, because they're experiencing the same thing and they don't want to feel, you know, they feel like they're alone in something. So I guess it's that it's that my true calling is just doing what I love. And as a result, you know, through that, I am just given so much, so many gifts back from the connections I make through that, you know. That is amazing. Now, as you look back at your life, uh, is there a particular eureka moment or a magical moment beyond which your life uh, changed in a big way? Oh, I guess I had in my younger years, I grew up extremely poor. And there were times when, you know, I was actually living as a child without electricity or running hot water. And I guess the thing that I learned back then was, and I, I was incredibly embarrassed because, and I tried to keep that well hidden from my school friends. The thing though, that I, the eureka moments have really been when I have been uh, traveling in the world and realizing that we all have our struggles. Everyone does. There's not one person that hasn't suffered and that the world is so big. And as soon as you get out of your little bubble of what you think reality is, and you actually step upon the soil of some other place, you open yourself up to that. The whole incredible learning happens. You know, you don't even try to learn, but it's that sort of thing. So um, I moved to Australia when I was 21. That was a huge moment. You know, like I said, I was very anxiety ridden at that time. And I guess the Eureka moment at that time was stepping onto this into this new country. And again, I I was just faced with, gosh, I really know nothing. <laughs> you know, I just need to absorb that life is so big. And then I've continually traveled. And every time I take a, a journey and have an adventure, even a road trip, I know my life will change by the end of it. I don't know how, but it will. So I guess the Eureka moments happen all the time for me. And it's usually through you know, movement and travel to something, to another place that I, I know nothing about. I know nothing of what's to happen. So I guess out of all the things that we learned from you today is one thing clearly stands out, the humility that you have, the ability to, after all these years of practice, look at life, look around you, especially if you're in a new environment, just say, I really know nothing. And I think <laughs> that's such a powerful skill expertise to have is just being humble and having those moments because that allows the energy to flow within you. It's like the cup, you know, when it's completely full, there's no space for anything to fill it. But if your cup is empty, and as you pointed out, if you say that I really know nothing, that allows nature to fill you with the wisdom that is waiting to enter you. So thanks a lot for sharing. That was really inspiring. And with that, we've arrived at my favorite round, the wisdom round, which contains four rapid fire questions so that our listeners can take note and take action. 
So are you ready? I'm ready. Uh, what is the best advice you've ever received? Well, the, being a mother, I had a professor, Sri Kumar Rao, and he said, kids don't always pay attention to what you say or what you do, but they always pay attention to who you are. And I think as parents out there <laughs> who are so worried about the daily things that we do, the reality is, is that kids pick up on who you are as a person. And all that other stuff at the end of the day really is just background. <laughs> and so I really needed to hear that. <laughs> that was the best advice. And I think about it every day <laughs> as I'm parenting, you know, it's like, no, I just need to be who I am and it's all going to be okay. <laughs> so that I have to say, that's my best piece of advice. Awesome. The name of personal habit that you'd like to encourage our listeners to try out? Move and breathe every day. I think we already talked about this, but I have a reminder on my phone that says dance every hour and it actually goes off every hour. And uh, it sounds a little, uh, it's a little embarrassing, but, um, <laughs> but, but our bodies, you know, we're actually made to move and breathe. In case people didn't know, I mean, I kind of forgot that when I was studying and, and I also sit at a computer all day. That's what you need to do. That's a good habit. And it'll bring you the peace, focus, longevity, res again, resilience. This is very simple. You move and breathe. If you can put some music on and do that, all the better. Wonderful. So is there an app that you use to remind you? Just on the iPhone, you know, it, it has the little reminders. Oh, all okay. iPhones have that. Um, I'm sure there's other apps out there, but uh, it just goes off every hour. You know, and sometimes I'm in a meeting or something and people will be like, what? Walden? What's <laughs> What's that? I'm like, oh, I, I better go dance. No, you can't always do that. But, yeah. you know, whenever you can, at least once a day, do that. Awesome. So I've just completed four interviews this morning, oh. four hours of interviews. So I think it's my cue to go out and move. <laughs> yes, I think you need to do that. Yes, for sure. So thanks a lot for sharing. What is your morning ritual like? Well, I actually start my work, my job at 5 a.m. in the morning. And I'm, I've always been a morning person. So I get up, I turn on the coffee machine because I I love coffee. Mm. And um, I start my morning during Monday through Friday. I start with a nice, beautiful cup of coffee. I sit at my desk and I begin my work. But it is actually a very peaceful time. The kids are still sleeping. Birds have just started singing. And I have the most focused time at that time of the morning. On the weekends, I do the same thing. I wake up at 5 a.m. But this time I don't have to work. And I do anything that I know will inspire me, whether it's writing or reading. But I always sit with my cup of coffee to have that morning and to sort of wake up with the animals, basically. So name a book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners. So not everybody's going to be able to get through this book, but if you can read it, it's amazing. It's called A Search in Secret India by Paul Brunton. It was written in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. He was an, an English journalist. He was a rationalist, meaning that he was so skeptical of temples and traditions and superstitions. Sure. And he his quest was to see if there was really any holy, true holy men in India. And he actually meets Ramana Mahashi and is able to, to meditate with him and spend time with him. And this book takes you through all sorts of different people that he meets. He meets a lot of really advanced and amazing people. But Ramana Mahashi, I don't know if people know who he is, but he is truly, he was truly an evolved being. He's, he, um, he, he's incredible. You read his words and you know it within your soul that it's true. And so it's just an incredible account of Paul's uh, time with him. But it also, you know, coming from uh, the journalist who was very skeptical about everything. It just, it takes you this incredible journey. And it was written in the 30s. So you can sort of see how, uh, you know, times were different back then, but this essential truth was, was there 
And uh, it's an incredible journey. I think that uh, it's definitely something that really changed my life after reading it. Action Drive to access today's show notes, visit my 7 forward slash 126. That's my 7 forward slash 126. So Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today. Before you go, tell us one thing that you're grateful for and tell us the best way we can find you. Well, I'm really grateful for you. I think what you do is incredible. I, I got to listen to other podcasts and it was incredible incredibly inspired and I just feel like we all need to to learn from each other, you know, and be inspired mm. by each other. And so I'm really grateful for what you do. So thank you so much. And I'm honored to be a part of this. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then if, if people want to find me, I've got a website, jessica-walden.com. And I've got a lot of sort of educational videos. I've got stories and, and some blog posts, uh, nothing too fancy. I'm trying to, you know, I will get to that, but, but for sure, that's a, a really good place to start. And um, and I've got my mail address there too if anyone has any questions or if anyone's going through similar things that I've gone through and, and wants to talk about any of those things I'm always open for that as well so Jessica I just want to mention I've seen your website it's amazing I love the content there and I think content speaks volume right uh, it speaks to the story that you've had your experiences and I also wanted to speak uh, so much about the organic part of your life you know the organic certifications and yes. things like that but maybe that we can do on some other episode in the future <laughs> but uh, Action Tribe if you want to learn more, then go to jessica-walden.com so that you can get further inspired and learn more about A, whether you'd like to try out Ashtanga Yoga or B, if you'd like to start with something more simpler and then work your way up there. Because as you probably learned today, we're all going through our own versions of reality. And although we are heading to the same point, we're going from different places. So you might start with Ashtanga Yoga, you might start with Yin Yoga, or you might start with Hatha Yoga. Whatever it is, it's just a transformation of your life. And you need to not compare yourself with people around you but look at yourself six months back one year back or two years back and see how much you evolved how much you've grown and then you will realize that you know things have really changed so again if you want to know more jessica-walden.com we'll have the link in the show notes so jessica thank you so much for coming on our show talking to us about the power of ashtanga yoga and taking us one step closer to a human revolution thank you so much for having me i've thoroughly enjoyed it i appreciate it Seven chakras. Go to my S E V E N chakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired, and take action. Transform your life today.